The Fourth Wall, Episode 3, Sundance Edition. You're listening to The Fourth Wall, a podcast that takes you beyond the screen or the page and brings you into our conversations with the creative people behind your favorite movies, TV shows, comics, and more. My name is Mike, and I'm the podcast editor here at Den of Geek. And today we have a very special guest that's not actually from behind the scenes of TV shows and movies and things like that, but actually behind the scenes of Den of Geek, and that's movies editor David Crow. Welcome to The Fourth Wall, David. Hey, thank you for having me. And we're actually going behind the fourth wall of the Sundance Film Festival, correct? Yes. I just got back a few days ago myself. And you had a great time in Park City. You said actually part of the best part of the festival, maybe beyond the movies, was just Park City itself. How did you enjoy the city? Oh, I loved being in Park City. This was, uh, full disclosure, our first time sending someone there. So also, therefore, my first time in Park City. And it is right outside of Salt Lake City. It's 35 miles, but it's up. It's mostly up a mountain at an elevation of 7,000 feet. It's very, very picturesque. It's a ski lodge community, so lots of ski slopes. You actually, I was staying in Deer Valley, and you know, it's very picturesque. It's a skiing community, and it was about three miles outside of town. And honestly, if you just want to go to like the most idyllic movie location version of a mountain town, you know, very posh. I could see why Robert Redford set up shop there. It's great. Yeah, it's definitely a, a good atmosphere, although I, it can be a little tough getting back and forth between the venues with the altitude. But other than that, well, actually, I did <clears throat> have altitude sickness uh, my first day, and that was not great. But then I got acclimated and it was fine. But uh, I will say the theaters are all roughly, you know, they can be either right next to each other about a, or about a mile apart. But they have a free shuttle bus service that goes all throughout Park City that was a lifesaver. It saved a lot of money on cabs and was really efficient. All right. Well, let's get into the discussion of what you enjoyed there. Um, I noticed that there's a lot of films on the docket that are in the horror genre, <laughs> at least secondarily, if not their main focus. Is this an attempt, do you think, to tap into the get out, a quiet place, that kind of indie horror feel? Well, actually, Sundance has always been a little bit in the horror realm. It's much more of an indie festival in the sense that when you look at something like Toronto, which we also go to, or New York, which is in our backyard, those are closer to the end of the year. And they're defined, honestly, by where the films that play there will land in terms of the upcoming awards season. Many of the Best Picture winners premiered at either Toronto or Telluride or the, the like. And while that sometimes happens at Sundance, Sundance is kind of like a breath of spring for moviegoers, even though it's in January and February. So they have a lot of independent cinema that is not necessarily geared towards awards season. So their midnight lineup is usually pretty cream of the crop independent horror so this was the 20th anniversary of the blair witch project which premiered and built its is it real or isn't it hype out of sundance in fact i interviewed one of the directors of blair Witch while i was up there and you can find out more about that on Dinner geek and recent horror movies that have 
really broken out that have premiered at Sundance in years past. I believe Get Out was at Sundance. Okay. And I know for certain so was uh, The Witch, The Babadook. Yes, yes. Hereditary last year was the big one, the big indie, uh, the elevated horror. It Follows played there. So, yeah, it's actually a great prestigious festival but if you like horror it's also a great genre festival too on the side at the midnight screenings and i didn't see everything i missed one of blumhouse's movies there so i can't speak to everything but of what i saw the horror movie there are two i'm gonna really sell hard here one is called the lodge which Uh is this excellent kind of it people have been comparing it to the shining but to me it's even stealthier than that it has shining-esque elements the would-be stepmother it's told from her point of view is going up to a lodge a cabin in the woods basically with her would-be stepdaughter she's engaged to the father and the mother who's played by alicia silverstone has killed herself in the (laughs) opening scene of the movie so the children obviously blame the new woman Mm -hmm. and there's also the element of is the mother's ghost haunting them so the movie is actually i called it it's kind of like gaslight but you don't know who's gaslighting who is there a ghost is uh uh riley keogh's character who is the main character and she's fabulous in the movie it's a real tour de force performance is she going crazy because she has her own issues with tragedy and mental health her own history and one night the power goes out and all their food disappears and even more precariously her medication disappears. Oh God. (laughs) Or are the children messing with her? And you go the whole movie debating which of these three scenarios is happening, but it starts getting really metaphysical and weird and trippy and uh, very disturbing. Uh, That's a lot of fun. And if I could recommend one more, because I saw a few I was not as crazy about, you can read, I gave uh, Jennifer Kent's new movie uh the nightingale a not so great review she did the babadook on dinnergeek.com but to focus on the good stuff what i really highly recommend is a horror comedy called little monsters oh yeah i heard about this one this actually has a feel-good element to it correct not just horror but oh yeah it's uh, kind of a twist right (laughs) yeah I, i i said it's like the magic school bus you know, except <laughs> if they went to a birthday party at a putt-putt golf realm and it was definitely <laughs> contestants. It is really – the trick is the zombies are just an obstacle. They don't represent anything other than the horrors of the world a good teacher will shield you from and instruct you about. And in this case, you have Lapita Nyong'o, the Oscar winner from 12 Years a Slave. She's in Black Panther. She's going to be in Jordan Peele's Us. And she's fabulous as this really heartfelt, sincere, earnest teacher. And she makes it completely work. She is a t- kindergarten teacher that makes everything an adventure. So when she takes her class to a petting zoo and the petting zoo becomes overrun with zombies, you know what? She'll have to put down the ukulele and pick up a pitchfork and kill a few zombies. But you know, <laughs> the point is to make sure the kids have a good time. <laughs> And yeah, you know, she plays uh, she plays Taylor Swift's "Shake It Off" on a ukulele, and it's vibrant. It's it's infectious. You can't forget the zombies. The joy in it is infectious. It also has a uh, Josh Gad as kind of a lecherous version of Olaf. So it's a lot of fun. All right, but actually, the favorite that you said, and I, I was enjoying looking at all your coverage on Den of Geek. You've got like a highlights article that has all the films that you saw. 
and then a couple that have their own individual articles. And one that you were very enthusiastic about, it seems, is The Last Black Man in San Francisco. What, what can you tell us about that one? Yes, this movie completely surprised me. Maybe it shouldn't have because it's A24. So uh, they're kind of film culture, film Twitter's preferred <laughs> studio these days. But uh, it's a very beautiful movie based on the life of the actor who plays himself in the film. Uh, his name is Jimmy Fails, and he is someone who desperately tries to reclaim the house that his grandfather made for them after World War II in the 1940s. And it's on Golden Gate Avenue in uh, San Francisco. And of course, uh, San Francisco is now a city almost entirely made up of millionaires and billionaires, unless you live on the boonies. And the film is told, though, very poetically. It has definitely an allegorical disposition. The way I described it in my review is almost like it's an epic poem. So you have the opening scene of a young girl going to a young black girl going to school and she meets a man in a hazmat suit because they have pushed people of color and basically anyone working class so far out of the city that they are now on the edge of this edge of the bay, this really contaminated bay that is so disgusting that <laughs> the only way wealthy people come there is in hazmat suits to clean it up for, you know, the environment, which is noble, but this is the world he lives in. And he, what he wants to do is reclaim his uh, grandfather's home that his father lost. And he ends up, by midway in the film, he ends up squatting in the house. And it has a very uh, lyrical and uh, bittersweet melancholy because the film is aware that it's important to know where we came from if we want to build a future. But it also kind of maybe subverts what audiences expect a movie about gentrification is going to be. Now, Jimmy Fails uh, co-directed, but also is a character named Jimmy Fails. Is it the same person or is he playing a character with his own name? Uh, well, he co-wrote the story. He did not oh, okay. direct it. Joe Talbot was the director of the film, who is a friend of Jimmy Fails. And Joe Talbot co-wrote the uh, screenplay. And I mean, it is clearly based on true story. But the way it is told is so metaphorical in the way that the house is shot like a palace it's shot like a cathedral i would even say and it's because jimmy has a worshipful view of the house but without trying to spoil anything clearly jimmy has had some perspective but the movie is not told like a tragedy it's told like a an odyssey if you will and uh, yeah. i think mm -hmm. it's a movie that people really like once they give it a chance all right very cool and and it's not just a playground for fiction films, the Sundance Film Festival. It's also a good place for documentaries. And I hear you found a pretty cool one that's a, a bit fun in its own way. <laughs> oh, I, I think you're talking about Hail Satan. Well, yes, <laughs> uh, it certainly is a documentary that ticks a lot of boxes for us. I mean, when I think Satanists, I think of Rosemary's Baby or The Devil Rides Out, you know, these really, whether high or lowbrow, these really kind of kitschy movies. And Hail Satan examines those, but, you know, it is making the strong argument that we have Satanists all wrong. So it's directed by Penny Lane, and she does a fabulous job with the film because she's honestly tr trying to take a jaunty and a bemused look at these people who call themselves Satanists. And it does a very excellent job of 
arguing, at least members of the temple of Satan or the satanic temple, that it argues that they are doing good charity works and they are, they will clean up their communities. And it's a chance for maybe people who feel a little ostracized from society. I did note that a lot of the people she interviewed came from evangelical or very Christian households. So, you know, they're going the opposite direction. Now, the documentary seems to suggest that most members who call themselves uh, Satanists don't actually believe in the devil. They believe in the concept of Satan, except, you know, they reconfigure it as the devil is just trying to help people out. You know, he was trying to give Eve knowledge or he was trying to convince Jesus in the wilderness, if you know your New Testament. You know, you're going to starve out here. Maybe you should get some food. <laughs> ties into me that they are honestly trolling Christians. I believe, at least taking the documentary at face value, to me it strikes me as they are primarily atheists who are calling themselves Satanists to piss off Christians. Now, they, in the documentary, are very wary of that, but arguably their best works are wherever there's a evangelical or a very conservative community that is trying to blur the lines between church and state and to say, you know, they want to put the Ten Commandments on the state capitol or they want to force students to say a prayer to Jesus in school. They are saying, well, you have to let us pray to the devil in school or you have to put up a statue of this demonic deity next to the Ten Commandments. And of course, all the uh, Christians in these communities are terrified and outraged that the Satanists have come to town. So in a way, they're actually protecting the sanctity of the separation between church and state because they do not want statues of the devil going up in their communities. <laughs> so uh, in that way, they are doing, you could argue, a good work. And the documentary is a pretty, uh, in my uh, mind, a jejun anecdote about that, although it, it did not convince me to join the cause. <laughs> Well, that's good to hear. But uh, yeah, it sounds like you had a great time. You were only able to get the second week of the festival this year, but maybe you'll catch the full one next year and we'll talk to you about it again then. Yeah. Uh, if I could just one last thing I'd like to highly recommend. I think your listeners would really enjoy a movie called Honey Boy. Oh yeah, Honey Boy, right. It's a movie about Shia LaBeouf's childhood in which he has Noah Jupe and... Uh, Lucas Hedges play him as 12 and 22 years old, and he plays his own father. And it's the best performance of his career, and it's almost like a confessional. It's a very personal film. It is Shia LaBeouf, as he wrote the screenplay. It is him using cinema to confess where his demons come from, and I think it'll be a movie a lot of people talk about throughout the year. Yeah, I was reading that you basically thought that he was aware of his own notoriety outside of his films. It's almost like his life is more interesting to people, <laughs> his fans, than the movies that he's in. So I think that was an interesting direction that he took there. Yeah, I I, I did. And uh, I think uh, a lot of people are going to really enjoy that one, as well as all the other movies we've talked about so far. <laughs> all right. Well, David Crow, thanks so much for joining us for The Fourth Wall. We really got a behind-the-scenes look at the Sundance Film Festival with you. And we look forward to reading more of your coverage on denofgeek.com. All right. Thank you. All right. We hope you enjoyed that interview with David Crow, our movies editor. But that'll wrap things up for this episode of The Fourth Wall. Come back in two weeks for the next edition of the podcast when we'll break through that fourth wall once again to talk to another creator or performer behind the entertainment that you love. Remember to follow Den of Geek on Twitter and Facebook at Den of Geek US. My name is Michael R. You can follow me at Mike Sci-Fi. 
find more content at denofgeek.com. And thanks. Join us again next time, Beyond the Fourth Wall. <laughs>